So would you turn now to John chapter 5. We've recently seen Jesus get Himself into a bit of trouble healing as He has a man on the Sabbath. It's something that He would do multiple times over the course of His ministry. Part of why He chose to do that. He chose to do this on a Sabbath. Well, that was no accident. It was no coincidence. I hope that you're picking up on just how in charge Jesus is over everything. Right At every turn, He's acting purposefully. He's acting with great intent to accomplish His purposes. To reveal not only His identity, but also that of the Father. And it's to that end that We're going to see Jesus not try to get out of the trouble that he's in, but purposefully turning up the heat another notch to get himself in more trouble that he's created. One of the commentators that I read this week on this passage said it's it's kind of like being summoned to court for a traffic ticket, and once you get there, you confess to premeditated murder. That's a little bit like what Jesus is doing here with this Sabbath violation. I want you to see that as as we read God's Word. So if you're able, stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 29. This is the Word of God. So this picks up after Jesus has healed the man. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one. But it's given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection 
of judgment. May God be pleased to bless the reading, the preaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and indeed authoritative Word this morning. We have already prayed and asked for His help, so please be seated. So Jesus already has one big strike against him. It's the traffic ticket, if you will, of healing on the Sabbath. We see that in verse 16. He has drawn the ire of the religious leaders. And in explaining his offense, he commits a far more egregious offense. He commits blasphemy, at least in the eyes of the religious leaders by claiming to be equal with God. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's very much doing it on purpose. We need to note in this passage especially all the connecting words. Connecting words are always important, but they're really helpful here for us following Jesus' train of thought. The so's, the fours, there are so many of them, one after another. Especially here at the beginning of verse 17. 16 says, all right, he's in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. 17 starts with a but. He's in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, but, and so it it calls out what Jesus is about to say, almost as a a clue for us, um, he's not about to make this better. But in fact, worse, he admits what he's done. He pleads guilty, if you will. Yes, working on the Sabbath, guilty as charged. But he does it with a parallel statement. I'm working and my Father is working. And and we might just read right over that and think, well, that's no big deal. But I promise you, the religious leaders that day, when they heard Jesus say that, it was as if a bomb exploded in their midst. With a couple of layers here. The first layer is that he calls God my Father. For God's people to refer to him as Father, that's fairly common. For any one of God's people to refer to God as his or her individual, personal, singular Father was basically unheard of. It was always and only our Father, the collective sense. And so that's the first layer of, a, of offense is this pointed reference, Jesus claiming God as His own Father in a peculiar and a unique way. Now that combines with the second layer, this business of I'm only doing what He's doing. He's working. I'm working. I can do what I'm doing because he's doing what he's doing. Combined, these two things just push the religious leaders right over the edge. And we see that in verse 18. This murderous obsession, this plotting and planning and scheming. How can we kill this man? Because they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what he meant by what he was saying. And now, Jesus could have just left it there, right? I'm working, he's working, mic drop, just walk away. But of course, he's got an agenda and he wants to to push further. He wants to reveal his identity. He's going to tell us more about the Father. 
And he's going to give us a little window into their relationship. The relationship between Father and Son. It's like a little peek inside the Trinity, if you will. And this is not simply an intellectual exercise. This is not just so that we can have some knowledge stored away here. Oh, here's ten important things to know about the Trinity. No, there's a response that this should elicit from us. Just like there was a response that should have been drawn out of the hearers that day, there's a response that should be drawn out here today. How we're supposed to respond to this information. And again, we're going to try to follow Jesus' train of thought. We're going to pay attention to these connecting words. And y'all, this is why I've given you such a detailed outline, probably the most detailed outline I've ever given you in in the worship folder, because I don't want you to get lost, because this this, this train of thought that Jesus has, and, and the idea just keeps developing and keeps developing and keeps developing the further we go along. And so as we get into this right away, we see that it's not really blasphemy at all what Jesus has said about equality with the Father. It, it is, it is mind-blowing. And we ought, to, we ought to give the religious leaders a little bit of a break Because to be concerned about Jesus' claim of equality with God the Father, that's right in one sense. Because if what Jesus meant by being equal with God was that He was another God or that He was a competing God, well, of course, then they should fight that tooth and nail. Because it's been deeply ingrained to God's people over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Israel was a lone, monotheist people amidst a sea of polytheism. Right? The Israelites were weird. They only had one God. Everybody else, they've got little g-gods for everything under the sun. Well, and for the sun. But Jesus explains, he's in no competition with God the Father. He's not another God. He goes on to explain his oneness with the Father, how they operate as distinct and separate persons, but within the essence of being the same God. All right, so that's mind-blowing, admittedly. Right? We will never fully grasp it. But what do we have here that we can grasp? Verse 19. I'm not acting on my own. I'm not acting independently. I only do what I see my Father do. So this isn't independent, self-determined action, because if that were the case, then perhaps the Son would be set apart then as, as a separate competing God. But that's not the case. Jesus is only doing what He sees. Well, How does Jesus see what he sees? Clearly, he only sees what the Father does because the Father is pleased to show him what he does. Verse 20 says as much and shows us the motivation, right? The Father shows the Son because he loves the Son. Right? And if the Trinity is going to blow our minds and be hard for us to wrap our tiny little brains around, this next thing ratchets it up another notch. 
It's one of the most mind-blowing and heart-exploding things that, that we could contemplate or meditate. That all we benefit from and receive from God, all the love that we experience as His people, flows ultimately and initially from the reciprocal love that the persons of the Godhead share with one another. That, that's the font. That's the, 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 the source of all love. Right? The love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit share with one another for each other perfectly and first. That was going on a long time, right? Eternity passed. They have been loving one another. It's out of that that any love we experience from God flows. Any benefit that we receive flows out of that love. And we see this beautiful expression of love specifically here between father and son. Father loves the son and therefore reveals to him what he's doing, right? And it's not explicitly stated, but we can draw easily out of this that the son loves the father in return through complete submission and obedience to what has been revealed, including and leading up to obedience to death on a cross, right? That tremendous benefit that we receive, that He does because He loves us, but that love that we receive is secondary to and flows from the love that Father and Son share together with the Spirit. Y'all, that will take eternity to sink in. Right? The Son does what He sees the Father do, and He only sees that because the Father loves Him and shows Him. All right. What exactly is it that the Son sees the Father do and then does Himself? Well, verse 21. Raises the dead, gives life. Now, the religious leaders must have really stumbled on this a bit because everybody knows that raising the dead and giving life are sole prerogatives of God alone. No one else does that. They didn't expect Messiah to do that. And later in this passage, verse 26 makes this even more staggering because the Son doesn't just give life. He has life to give. He possesses life within himself. Now, there was a little precedent before for God using someone to raise someone from the dead. Think about Elijah, right? Elijah was used as an instrument of God to raise someone from the dead. But Elijah did that not because he possessed life in himself. He was just a tool through whom God's power was flowing. But the Father has given the Son life to possess within Himself. And John already alluded to this back in the prologue, right? Chapter 1, verse 4, right? In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, Jesus has already been at work doing some of this, right? What He's seen the Father do, Jesus has already been raising the dead. He's already been giving life. 
But jump back to verse 20 there. The Father isn't done revealing things to the Son. The Son has even greater things to do in the days ahead. And certainly that's going to relate to raising the dead. You know, Lazarus is still to come in, in chapter 11. Um, giving life. And there's a purpose for these greater works. There's a response that this is supposed to elicit from us that we should marvel. That's the purpose of these greater works. Not the people that they benefit. That's secondary at best. The purpose of these greater works is that we should marvel. The Father's doing all of this for the express purpose that we should see the Son and we should see how He raises the dead. We should see how He gives life. And we would stand back with jaws dropped open, wide-eyed and say, oh my God, what a, what a beautiful, powerful, amazing Savior He is. Who is like Him? Greater works that will cause us to marvel. Verse 22 tells us about another of these greater works. Judgment. That's something that the Father has delegated to the Son. Now, if you're paying attention, when you read verse 22 here, you might say, now wait a minute. What about back in chapter 3? Where it said God did not send the Son to condemn. That, that's language close to judging, is it? Is it not? But I don't believe there's a conflict here. Because judging, while it is something that the Father has given to the Son, does not make that His sole or even primary purpose for His coming or for the Father's sending. The Father sent the Son to be a Redeemer for God's people. But it's difficult, if not impossible, to do the work of a Redeemer. To live a perfectly righteous life. To die a sacrificial death as a substitute for sinners like us. And arise from the dead. It's difficult to do that and not end up drawing a hard dividing line between those who receive that work of redemption and those who reject that work of redemption. Look at verse 24. Here's where the judgment inevitably occurs. If you hear the word of the Son, which is the gospel, and believe the one who sent the Son. That is, place your faith in Him and, and trust Him. Trust His redeeming work that He's done. Then, you are in the category, you are on the side of the line that has life. Rather than experiencing the judgment of remaining in your state of death. You pass into life. So that's one outcome of the redeeming work of the Son. But that redeeming work also has an opposite response 
and outcome by its very nature. There will be some who don't hear, and therefore they will not believe, and those that are on that side of the line, well, they will come in to judgment, and they will not pass from death to life, but will remain in their state of death. Now, why does the Father give this work of judgment to the Son? Verse 23, He does it, why? So that all may honor the Son. And in honoring the Son, it in no way diminishes His honor, but it it honors Him as well because He's the one who sent Him. That we would honor the Son because of His judgment. That we would stand in silent awe of the One who has done this work of redemption. This work that if believed, if trusted, will lead to life, but if refused, will lead to judgment. But verse 23 says that All may honor the Son. You see, that's only partially happening right now. Some are honoring the Son right now, hearing, believing, passing from death to life, but not all. And I think verse 25 begins to help us with, with the difference that's going on here. Why some now and not all? We're dealing with two different eras, two different periods of time. There is the now, and there is that which is coming. The already, and the not yet. There is an hour that is coming in the future, but there's also a sense that it's already here. Some are already honoring the honor of everyone else is coming. Now, in both of these times, the dead will hear the voice of the Son. Those who hear it now will live. The Son will give them life. Well, who will those be? How will, they, how will those dead people hear? Because dead people usually aren't very good at anything. Certainly not hearing voices. Got to go back to verse 21. Who will it be? Who will hear? Who will receive life? Verse 21, those whom the Son wills to give life. Again, it's His sovereign prerogative. Now, How does this happen? How does it come to be that dead people hear His voice? makes me think about uh, another passage we've looked at before back in Ezekiel 37. You remember the, the valley with dry bones strewn everywhere. And God commands the prophet Ezekiel, speak, right? Put your voice out there, prophesy. And he's like, really? (laughs) Doesn't seem much point until the great wind begins to blow over those bones. And sinews come and join bones back together and flesh comes around the bones. And that great wind blows breath 
into their lives. The Son gives life to whom He will. And those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. Now I know talk like that makes some of you uncomfortable. It makes you squirm a little bit. right? And it should. It should. It should cause your it's not fair light to start blinking on your dashboard. right? That doesn't sound fair to me. But let, let me tell you this. In, in John's Gospel, we're going to see a lot more of this, right? We've got a lot more of this to work through. I'm going to make you uncomfortable lots more, okay? But for here, let me just give you this idea to think about, to chew on, to rest in. Know with great certainty that man's ability to hear the voice of the Son perfectly matches his desire to hear the voice of the Son. Man's ability to hear perfectly matches his desire to hear. All right, now let me explain what I mean by that. Because it's easy to, to think, oh, that's not fair. There, there's got to be all these people out here who would just love to hear the voice of the Son, and He's not letting them. He's withholding it. And that's just mean because they would really like to hear his voice and they would respond if they could just hear his voice. But that's not how this works. All of us, every single one of us, desires by our very nature not to hear the voice of the Son. None of us wants to hear his voice. It's like every single one of us is na 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 na. Funny but not funny. That's every single one of us. We are all just like the ones John mentioned back in chapter 3, verse 19, right? This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He is here and people love the darkness rather than the light. And y'all, that is every single one of us. By nature, we are lovers of darkness, and our desire is to not hear the voice of the Son. But for some, those whom the Son wills, He comes through His powerful Spirit. And He pierces, He uncovers those deaf ears that we might hear, that we might believe, that we might be given life. And I get it. That's, that takes a while to chew on. That's hard to swallow. Right? But if this authority that the Son has been given to, to exercise judgment, to give life to whom He will, if that's hard for you to understand, I think that's a little bit of this don't marvel in verse 28. Right? We're, we're supposed to marvel in one place, I think back in verse 20. Right? We're supposed to honor because of the judgment. But here, don't, don't, don't marvel. Don't get tripped up on this. There, in one sense, it is beyond our ability to perfectly grasp and put in a little box and tie a nice little bow on top of. Right? There's some humility that's going to be required here. 
to be okay with God being God and the Son being the Son and Him giving life to whom He will. Verse 28 also goes on to explain more about the period of time that isn't now. So there's a period that's now. There's a period of time that's coming when all will in fact hear, right? And this is when all will give honor to Jesus. I, I think about Philippians 2, right? There, there will be a time when every knee bows, right? There will be a time when every tongue confesses, but at that time it's going to be too late, right? They're going to do it because it becomes blatantly obvious. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to hear His voice And they're going to be filled with regret and dread in the face of coming judgment. That's the time when all will give honor to Jesus. They'll see who it is they've been rejecting all this time, whose voice it was that they so desired not to hear. And when all come out of the tombs, we see these two options again. We see life and we see judgment. Now, the way this is worded, it trips people up. Because they read just this verse in isolation and they say, Oh, well, if I've done good, I'll get life. So I better be a do-gooder. I better try really hard. Because as long as I do good... I'll be okay in the end. That's, that's what 90% of folks out on the street think Christianity is. That it is the religion of trying to be a nice person. Of trying to do good. Of trying to at least be better than the next guy. But we can't isolate this. Let's tie this back to a very clear and explicit explanation that we've already had in this passage back in verse 24. See, Those who have done good are those who heard and believed and were given life. But here's the deal. The life that Jesus gives is a transformed life. The life that Jesus gives is a life that very slowly, but inevitably, begins to do good works. It's a life that slowly but surely is conformed to the one who gave it. It is conformed to the likeness of Christ. It's a life that will, in fact, bear the fruit of good works. So so read verse 29 as those who display the fruit of good works, of having been given life by Jesus. They are the ones who experience the resurrection of life. But those who continue hating darkness rather than light, those who continue with purposefully stopped up ears. I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to hear. To them, the resurrection of judgment does come. And our response this morning, our response to seeing our Savior, seeing the work that He's been given to do by the Father, 
should be one of marvel and it should be one of great honor for Him both as our Redeemer and as our Judge. Let's pray. Oh, Father, so much to chew on from this passage this morning. Father, we definitely need the Spirit's help to sift through all of this, to sort it out in our minds, to get to a place where we're okay and and we see it is not unfair that the Son would give life to some and not give life to all. Father, to sift through and to see that that our ability to, to hear is tied to our desire to hear. And to know that our desire will always be to not hear until we've been acted upon supernaturally by the grace of the Holy Spirit to enable our hearing, to enable our believing, to enable our receiving life, even a transformed life that bears good fruit from Jesus our Savior. Oh, Holy Spirit, come in power and help us to sort through all this, to not be confused by it, but to understand it with clarity, to see how it fits in with the rest of Your Word. Grant us that grace, we pray this morning. And grant the grace that even now, Holy Spirit, You might be unstopping deaf ears in our midst and allowing them to hear the voice of the Son for the very first time. That they might believe. That they might be given life. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.